Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 178 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. And what's going on? Very positive week, uh, record-wise, right into it. Uh, we only had the eight games that we predicted. Evan gave his pick since he wasn't here last time, but we all did uh, dead even or positive. Evan, four and four. Zach went five and three. And I went six and two. So that overall puts Evan at 112 and 127. And then Zach and I are both at 114 and 125. So... Yeah, not not too bad for a limited amount of games. Should get a little more scrambled now that we're getting these two Wednesday games in the mix for the upcoming weekend. Yes, very excited about tomorrow. Can't wait for Arsenal Everton a rematch of a fixture that didn't quite go our way uh, just three weeks ago at this point. Uh, before Matt and I get into these games, I would like to thank Zach and he. Uh, for carrying the torch last week, a bit under the weather, uh, as as Matt explained to you guys, I did have to get metal braces on. This is the second time in my life that I've had them. Uh, was in a lot of pain last week. Didn't think getting on and recording would be the best thing. Just kind of wanted to let my teeth uh, settle in. And I will apologize for any sort of... Uh, potential speech impediment that you guys uh hear i'm trying my best to to kind of learn how to uh get around the braces in terms of enunciating and things like that but uh i don't i don't think it's awful so um apologies for any sort of sound issues uh you're just gonna have to deal with it because there's not really any way uh i can get around it other than just getting used to it um, so with all that being said, let's jump into the games. I will start us off, uh, with Fulham one Wolves one Wolves got off to an early start with a Pablo Sarabia goal in the 23rd, the new man from PSG stunting pretty early. Uh, it wasn't until the 64th minute when Manor Solomon got Fulham. One back. A pretty tight game here. Uh, we had 10 shots for Fulham, 8 for Wolves. 5 shots on target for Fulham, just 2 for Wolves. Not much changed uh, here in terms of the way Wolves have been playing. Uh, Raul Jimenez was back in the team, but the rest of the team pretty much unchanged. You had Dawson and Kilman across the back with Lamina and Neves in the center. Um I think Wolves are, I mean, we've, we've been over this within the past, you know, five weeks or so. Uh, they are playing much, much better with Julian Lopetegui uh, at the helm. In terms of Fulham, I think this is, you know, pretty much more of the same. You had Vinicius up top, no Mitrovic, uh, you know, he, he didn't get a start in this one. He's a little bit banged up right now. But I think Fulham continue to be impressive. I, I think a 1-1 is not ideal here. Fulham are in a pretty decent spot in the table. You'd ideally like to take a win, especially uh, with Newcastle kind of faltering a little bit. But I'm sure they'll take a point against Wolves team who are just solid more than anything. Yeah, as you mentioned, Mitrovic not being available is always going to hurt. He's had a that lingering ankle issue all year and... You can tell he sorely missed. Obviously, he's bagged at least 60 goals within the last uh, 12 months, including the championship and all that. So he plays differently. Pereira is kind of a ghost playing at that 10 in there. He kind of 
doesn't really affect the game at all in the press. He pushes up in like a 4-4-2 with Vinicius, and then when he does get the ball, it seems like they don't have enough numbers up for him to uh, develop any play, really. So uh, their CDMs held it down. Paulinho is good for a solid yellow card. I think he got his 10th here in this match. So yeah. I think that's a two-match ban now. So those are two big games. They're going to miss him. He's been a phenomenal signing for them, getting them where they are this year, uh, up to this point, I should say. So we'll see how that affects them. But Wolves is always a tough test playing these guys. You never really know what you're going to get. Um, Possession-wise, you do. They're going to dominate the ball. And uh, with the vast majority of players that they have in the attack, uh, one of them is do a goal every other week, and Sarabia was the man this week, and it earned him a point here. So uh, Wolves carrying on a little bit of momentum, not getting too bad of a form going. And as you mentioned, Fulham in sixth, you can't really complain. Um, they have been playing a lot of their games already, so that gives Brighton and Liverpool both with two and three games in their, in hand, respectively, to some, some time to cut that gap and maybe jump them. So... Um, We'll see from here how that affects them with no Paulinho for Fulham. Yeah, it could be uh, it could be th- something we need to keep our eye on. <clears throat> uh, you have up next, I believe, Everton versus Aston Villa. Yeah, uh, big game here. Sean Dyche at home. He was 2-0 and on the year up to this point, and Unai Emery comes in, squashes that run uh, with a 2-0 victory. Uh, started off again with an Ollie Watkins penalty in the 63rd minute. Bit controversial up to that point. We saw up on both ends two goal line or goal line clearances. Uh Jordan Pickford with contention for save of the year from an Ollie Watkins header. And then on the other end we saw Emmy Martinez off the line and then a defender clearing it off the line. It was bonkers back and forth. Goodison was rocking. Uh but the penalty came Grease Gonagate takes out John McGinn. Watkins steps up, buries it. Fifth straight game, uh, Villa players scored in the Premier League uh, for Watkins. I think that's a record there for, in their uh, club history. Uh, Damari Gray comes in the 70th minute for Iwobi, trying to get more direct, and he's pretty much their number one guy um, that you want on the ball one-on-one. Uh, they bring in Sims for Maupai, who didn't do too much, had one major chance, but wasn't good. Uh, and then Everton get caught out a bit. Villa quick counter, long ball to McGinn. Uh, center mids are out of place for Everton, and he lays or uh, he lays off to Buendia, who cuts and sides and tucks it home and ends the game pretty much in the 81st. So uh, it's a rough one for Everton. They have been playing a lot better though. Two wins out of four since uh, Dyche has come in, which is a good form for where they are, but. It puts them back in that relegation battle or in the relegation zone. So we'll have to see what Dice does coming up against the. Um, who do they play this Arsenal. week? Yeah, they get a rematch against Arsenal. They have to go to the Emirates now, which is has only been they've only lost once there now. Yep. Um, you know, the more and more I watch Everton, and I I shouldn't really be invested in what's going on there, but the, the way that Dice like lines teams up. It is truly must-watch television because it's just terroristic football. It's the 4-5-1. It's nasty. Everybody, it's like drop back in FIFA. It's disgusting. It makes me sick. But it's appointment viewing because they're still not going to score. Like, it's just madness to me how watertight he makes a team, but 
how awful they still continue to be because they can't score. They have Neil Mopai up there. Like it, it, it's just it's complete madness. If they don't get a striker in or somebody that's like just remotely competent, then they're not going to be able to do anything in the league. It's just not going to happen, and they're not going to be able to get anybody in because obviously the transfer window is up. Um, what's his name? I I always forget his name because he doesn't play anymore. Uh, DCL Dominic Calvert Lewin just constantly not on the pitch it's such a problem because there was a point where he was a really really good player and I still think he is but his injuries and whatever else I don't think it's just the injuries he's just never on the pitch he's not even named in the team uh for half their fixtures so it's not looking good uh for Everton but I will say this is just like the perfect team for Sean Dyche to to manage and try and like drag out of the relegation zone just because of how many really talented, big, strong midfielders they have and even defenders. I mean, Tarkowski and, and Cody are both very strong, solid uh, defensive players that I think even really could fit into other better teams in the Prem. Uh, and then you have the, like the triple pivot of Onana Ducore and Idrissa Gay, like it it is crazy, but if they don't figure out the goal scoring situation, then they're not going to be able to do anything. And in terms of Villa, I think it's very impressive what um, Unai Emery has been able to do there. It seems like he's sort of instilling a little bit of a winning culture. I think Jacob Ramsey has been fantastic. Same thing with Louise, and then you have the sort of reemergence of Leon Bailey, although he didn't do much in this one. Uh, and the continued relative success of Ollie Watkins, who I just think continues to impress and grow as a player. It's something that you want to see. Um, reminds me a little bit of of Rashford in that he's able to, to sort of play out on the left, but primarily plays left striker. Um, the only thing with Watkins is, is he's not, you know, Rashford had a lot of really streaky moments through his first two, three years of his career. Obviously, he's in sensational form now. But those young English strikers, as long as they're able to sustain goal scoring over a period of time, uh, they're setting themselves up for for relative success in the league. So I am hoping that Ollie Watkins continues this form. Um, I think he's been really good this season. And I'm hoping, you know, moving forward that he's able to just stay at Villa and sort of help them with whatever project they're working on there, because it does seem like uh, Unai Emery is the man for the job. All right. Um, up next, I suppose we'll go into Arsenal-Leicester. Arsenal won Leicester City nil. We had to grind this one out. Ten shots, two shots on target. Controlled the game, as I think everybody would have expected. We're now two points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand. Uh, on Manchester City. United is the only other team that has that game in hand uh, besides Newcastle, you know, in terms of potential title contenders. I don't really think I'd count Newcastle in there, but uh, yeah, just one goal from Gabriel Martinelli in the 46th. Probably should have been more than one goal. Uh, Saka was brought down at one point in the box, pretty much just tackled uh, by Sutar or Christensen didn't get the call. And then the other thing was the first goal that was varred off because of a hand checking situation <laughs> in the box. Um, somebody grabbed Danny Ward and the goal that it was an absolute screamer from uh, Leandro Trossard ball came out, flushed out of a corner, uh, just beautiful top right strike, but it was varred off because of that hand holding situation. Uh, in the 46th minute, the ball 
Snuck through from Trossard to Martinelli, who was streaking uh, down the left side. Finished it excellently in the right corner. Um, really glad that Saka didn't take the goal because uh, he could have tapped it in. But a beautiful, beautiful goal there from Gabriel Martinelli and Trossard on the link-up play. Outside of that, a very quiet game. Um, Arsenal just did not have a ton of chances. I think this is a game that we needed to really kind of pump Leicester City, and we weren't able to do that. Defensively, I still think we looked pretty sound. Ben White in there uh, is such an improvement over Tomiyasu, who's been having you know, a nightmare when he's been in. Um, but I think this is a, a good win. It's good to be able to just go out there, defend, and nick a goal and, and hold on to it. Um, what I will say on the Leicester side is since XG uh, has sort of become a, a mainline uh, statistic, uh, this is the lowest total XG projected for a team with 0.01 since uh, three years ago, which when they started to, to factor it in which is absolutely Jesus. insane. I, I thought maybe a little bit hard done by on point zero one. There was a couple of chances, um, but but that's uh, sort of the tale, you know, of Leicester this year. It's either four goals or none. Yeah, I didn't. Wow, that's that's, that's crazy, right? I know. Because Ian Ocha has been on decent form lately. Um, mm-hmm. The run of fixtures that Leicester has had the last two games against Arsenal and United here haven't been the most pleasant, but... You would think like they still scored quite a quite a lot of goals this year too. Mm-hmm. Like, I know. So that's tough for them. They've been dealing with injuries um, all year too. I think uh, Tillemans came in this game and picked up a knock. Yeah. Uh, wasn't he rolled he rolled his ankle pretty bad? So I don't know how that's looking up to this point. But yeah, it was very tight. Arsenal leaving it pretty late here. Um, Obviously, they scored in the second half, but didn't, couldn't really get that second, as you mentioned, a bag. Uh, Enketia previously started the last 12 games in a row. Now, Trissard starts up top. We saw him play this role for Brighton uh, several times with Potter and, and closing out with Deserby. So we know he's capable there, and it worked out here. But, yeah, uh, just add, one, add another one to the cart. It, it grows that margin over City. We've seen they are due for for mistakes and can slip up they've slipped up more than arsenal this year with one more draw and one more defeat so it's looking pretty good there and you just got to keep the the wheels turning so it's just on to the next one really yeah absolutely true um okay let's move on to the next one west ham four nottingham forest nil this was a massive one for david moyes the london stadium was absolutely jumping and everybody was screaming Danny Ings' name with a brace today or on the day. Uh, and overall, they won 4 0 over Forrest to continue their their reputation of being absolutely horrendous on the road. That's three goals, four on the road, and 29 against. They've only picked up six points out of 12 games, and they're just a puncher bag when it comes to going on the road. So, uh, as I mentioned, Ings had two, but there was no goals in the entire first half. We saw Bowen off the post and uh, another off the crossbar earlier, so it was coming. Before the first goal, though, Fabianski picked up a concussion. It uh, wasn't the prettiest of injuries, and Ariola had to come in to close out the game and did get the clean sheet. So Ings in the 71st, and then Ings again in the 73rd, assisted from Bowen and Benarama. Uh, Jesse Lingard comes in the 77th minute to make changes there. Uh, but 
a minute later, Declan Rice in the 78th again from Ben Rama, top of the box, nice little curler. Had the place bumping. And then Mikel Antonio comes in for Ains in the 84th. A minute later, gets a goal, crossed in for four nows, towering header. Everybody loved it. It was exactly what West Ham needed. Three massive points, gets them out of the relegation zone with a two-point margin in front of Everton there in 18th. Uh, and hopefully they can build off this. It was This was a, when Zach and I were talking about it, I said if West Ham lost this game or even dropped points, I thought Moyes was out, uh, and he keeps his job for a little bit longer. So we'll see. Uh, we know Ings will get hurt in the next week or so. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like, could, he already could have been in training this week. So if they can get him going a bit, we know he's a guy that's capable of 10 to 15 goals in a year. Um Definitely, he's he's well versed in this league. He's played for about a, a quarter of the teams, if not more. So uh, we'll see if he can sustain that. And I think Ben Rama has to stay in this lineup because uh, when he's not in there, there's just a, a massive drop in creativity on one of the wings. Yep. So absolutely true. Uh, as you mentioned about Ings, you know it. He really is a, a goal score, like proven goal scoring threat. Um, he's been like that pretty much everywhere he's been. Uh, I think he's he's a good player. He's aging and at the same time, like just super injury prone. So it is a problem, especially if you're going to sort of lean on him to be your primary threat. Um, but it does look like it's just going to be him for the most part, him and Bowen. And like you mentioned, Ben Rama providing the services is just huge. Uh, and if if West Ham can continue to lean on Ings, uh, I think it opens up other options. You know, Bowen had an assist uh, in this one, he hit the post. Like it's only a matter of time before Bowen starts to get going again. And then in the center of the park, obviously you have one of the best defensive midfielders in England, uh, in Declan Rice. Uh, so I think if they can just nick a couple more results against some of these shittier teams, Nottingham Forest, Southampton, things of that nature, then West Ham will be okay. But at the same time, you know, I think, do you really want Moyes? Like, do you do you want him to stay there? Because a four nil battering of Nottingham Forest here at this point, especially after they just won one against City, um, like it's going to secure his job for another couple of weeks. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if uh, if he's the man for the job at this point. I think they might be better off uh, moving forward with with another option. Sorry, you, if you can hear my dog, Jesus. Yeah, it just comes down to availability, really. I don't. We've we've been seeing now the teams that have been waiting late to change managers. How long is it? How long it has taken them to bring in somebody new? We saw Leeds have to drop uh, Marsh at the beginning of the month, and it's taken three weeks for them to find a replacement. So I don't know how much time you're going to have uh, for the West Ham job in particular if they do get rid of Moyes with the limited amount of games they have left. Zach and I talked about this. It's going to be really hard. So I think they have to stick it out with him. And I think the players are are competent enough to get the job done, really. They've, they've, been, pl- they've been placing in seventh the past two years and mm-hmm. have been competing for top four. So we know the quality's there. It just comes down to executing on the day. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Leeds United 1, Southampton Nil, a nervy one for Leeds at Ellen Road, but they're able to take all three points. 
uh, thanks to a junior Firpo strike in the 77th minute. A very, very quiet game otherwise. Four shots on target, four leads, two uh, for Southampton. Leads controlled the possession. They did have uh, the three Americans starting in the center. Tyler Adams, McKinney, and then Aronson playing Cam. Uh, Nyonto, Bamford actually started up top, a yellow card, and then off uh, later on in the match. And then Harrison playing right Cam. I think this is kind of like, you know, ideally what what leads line up with I still think the defense is kind of an issue uh Wilbur has been a good signing for sure um but you know it's just like I don't know I don't I don't know what you can expect out of Leeds every week this is for sure the lineup that they need to be using I think McKenney and Adams in the center of the park is just an amazing partnership like it's so nice to see them playing right next to each other the chemistry is obviously proven because of their Time growing up in the national team system together, that it really is amazing. Then Aronson in there, he's obviously very capable of of having extremely creative moments. Um, but you know, the defense is still suspect. You get a goal from Firpo here at the left back position, which is always nice to get. Um, not somebody you expect to score, but a very much needed goal. I also don't think. Like they they need a striker. They need they need somebody else in here. I know we they've got Rudder uh, or Ruder, however you want to say it. But like it, you just can't rely on Leeds to score two three goals a game at this point right now. It's just not happening. Um, and they're lucky that they came up against the Southampton side who literally can't score unless James Ward Prowls either like bangs a free kick or hits one from outside of the box. So. Uh, good three points for Leeds, but I'm still just really not convinced. Yeah, and they're also missing Che Adams. He's been That's out true. for several matches now with uh, his injury. I don't know what the timeline is for him to come back, but uh, maybe it's the beginning of the month here in March. We'll see. But they both make do without him. They have that Sulimana, who's like six seven, which is outrageous. Uh, he looks like he doesn't belong in the sport of, fo- of football out there, but... Um, still, they'll make do with what they have. You mentioned Ward Prowse is the only guy they have, uh, and they didn't have any dangerous free kicks here that could have cost leads. So that's a easy solution there that teams can learn from. June uh, Furpo's goal was weird. Basunu was like kind of right at him. I don't know if it picked up a deflection off Benderek, but yep. it was one of those weird ones where maybe it's a young goalkeeper's mistake. Uh, Maitland Niles was getting absolutely torched out in that fullback. <laughs> there was a moment where Southampton were building out of the back and it came out to Maitland Niles and Bamford absolutely took him out and it looked like it was going to break his leg. Um, it was crazy. Just the, the tension there in this, in these six pointers is crucial. Lee's getting on the other end or on the positive end of it, I should say is good. Uh, it, it's a, uh, it was new manager against newer manager. The new manager bounce hit here with uh, Javi Garcia coming in from Watford. Picks up a debut win there over Ruben Celes, who just came off his first win yeah. over, over Chelsea. So nice for Leeds, Southampton. It's going to be a long rest of the year. Um, they're, in, they're in a touching distance of getting out, but it's going to be really tough because they have a couple big boy matches coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to a bloodbath. Bournemouth 1, Manchester City 4. City, who have been shaky at points this season, 
uh, return to just absolute masterclass form. Julian Alvarez getting them started off early in the 15th. Who else but Erling Holland scoring the second in the 29th. Phil Foden, who's had a bit of time away from the starting 11, scored in the 45th. Chris Mepham with an own goal in the 53rd, 51st, sorry, and then Jefferson Lerma getting one in the 83rd, pulling one back, but that was a nice goal, but, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean anything, really. Uh, 13 shots for Bournemouth, just two of those falling on target and one going in. 20 shots for City, five of those on target, controlled the possession as well. Um, this is what you have to expect from City, but we have seen like just last week they go and with a one-one draw against uh, against Nottingham Forest. For City, it just comes down to taking the chances, not blowing them over the bar, not blowing them right, which we saw happen so many times um, against Nottingham Forest. They have so much talent in this team. Uh, no KDB starting in this one. They had Grealish, Gundogan, Alvarez, and Foden across that front four, and then Holland up top. It's just like there's so much attacking um, prowess there. Grealish, I think, has been amazing, honestly, over the last three weeks. Uh, Alvarez continues to be impressive when he gets a chance in the team, and then Holland, you you know what you can expect from him. So. Um, there's just so much depth in this city side. They have so many players they can bring off the bench. Uh, I mean, they have, you know, they played a three at the back here, but they have so many good defenders that they can bring on. We even saw Calvin Phillips a little bit in this one, who continues to be extremely unimpressive. Um, but with Mares, KDB coming off the bench for, for Grealish, Foden, whoever else you want to put in there, it's just, it, it is truly uh, insane how much talent they have in every single position on the pitch. Well needed three points, uh, two points behind Arsenal, uh, even though they played one more game and City continued to look impressive. Whereas you know Bournemouth, this is just more more of Bournemouth. You know, Solanke and Billings aren't really doing what they need to be doing. And although they nicked a couple earlier this season for mother shit teams, uh, it's just not. It's not looking good for them right now. They're in 19th on 21 points. Just a point from the drop, but still very, very ugly. Yeah, you really, you truly uh, encapsulated everything there. Uh, it's just a get-right game for City. It was something yep. they needed to get back on the, on the, get the wheels back on the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, Would have been nice for a clean sheet, but that's how it is sometimes. City just lose it. Ederson's... Uh, that would have been Ederson's hundredth clean sheet uh, for Man City, I think. They or or in the Prem, I'm not sure, but it would have been his hundredth. I saw, so that was unfortunate for him on a personal note. But yeah, Bournemouth just got to find a way to get a few results to go their way to get out of the hole. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, okay. Up next, you have Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil. I'll be excited to see what you have to say about this one. Yeah, just coming off of losing 5-2 in the Champions League to Madrid at home is <laughs> not pleasant. And to respond with a nil-nil draw with Crystal Palace uh, has a lot of fans upset, uh, saying that the players don't care about the fans and they're not fit to wear the badge. Um, is saying something, and... This was without Nunes. He picked up that shoulder injury against Newcastle in the previous matchup. So 
he was a big loss vertically for them to stretch things out. And Diego Giotto is in there, who we know is capable of doing good things. Just couldn't at the on the day. I think he had a, t- uh, a tough, tough one off the post. Yeah. And, and we Liverpool should have gotten a goal, or should have gotten a goal, but it wasn't meant to be. Palace are very tough when you play them. We talked about this last week when uh, we were doing the pick'em. Zach took a draw here, and I still took Liverpool, but I did say Palace throughout the year have shown their battle tested against the top teams. They're 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 on twenty seven points for a reason. They're solid mid table place. So this is this is what they do to teams. They just they frustrate them. They they wear them out. Uh, they absorb the pressure and then they break out. And they're still getting the job done done somewhat without without um. Wilfred Zaha, that's now eight straight games they are without a win. So it's really tough for them to go into these games and look for that win and it not to come. It's probably very frustrating, but they're competing with these top dog teams. So it was nice to see. We saw Sambi Lakonga on loan from Arsenal get the start there. That's something that they've been looking all year for next to Ducore, who's had a, a great debut season with them. And, um, when Harvey Elliott came in for Liverpool in the second half, I believe, yeah, start of the second half, I think he had at least six turnovers, just poor yeah. passes that caught them out and just Palace were countering and after counter after counter. And it, it got tiring for them. And Trent was having issues and they had to put Milner right back. So Liverpool, it wasn't their best day, obviously. It wasn't even an average day. And... They just needed a spark really off the bench, and I think I think we can say that maybe they need a Nunes in this game. They do. I absolutely agree, which is crazy because he was on fraud watch for so many weeks. Um, it's just, even though I think he's a fraud and he's he, he's a very poor finisher a lot of the time, he is an extremely dynamic player, and the threat that he provides with his pace just opens up so many other options for Salah to be creative or Gakpo to get into opening, you know, open positions. And it just didn't happen here. Instead of having somebody that Palace have to man mark tightly and, you know, really double sometimes, uh, they just, they were very pedestrian in attack. And Jota, we haven't seen a ton this season. He's had injuries. It's going to take him a minute to work himself back into full form. That's fine. But um, instead of and you know focusing on going forward, they're having to deal with all of the injury, not injuries, but just nonsense that you know they have to deal with in in midfield. Naby Keita not good, not good enough in this in this side. Henderson old, Milner old, Trent can't defend. Uh, it's a problem, man. Things are not good at Liverpool Football Club. I think there are players in this side. Um, that you can bring off the bench, change formation, switch things up. Firmino comes to mind. Fabio Carvalho, who I think hasn't been given a great run in this team so far, another player that comes to mind. Give me some creativity. Play more players through the center, and then let those guys on the wing run those diagonal runs and see if they can finish the ball. Play Gakpow out on the left if you're not going to have Nunez. Send Jota back to the bench. Let him let him get himself back to full, uh, you know, full fitness because he's not there. But this is just not good. I think they'd be better off playing with a center forward, um, pushing those wings higher up the pitch. 
uh, you know, not necessarily a false nine, but I guess sort of in that that vein. Uh, the diagonal runs to your pacey forwards are going to be the only way that you pump goals past these other teams who focus so uh, hard on defense. And this, whatever lineup this is, with the really slow midfielders, uncreative players, just not going to get it done. Uh, it's been very disappointing, you know, watching Liverpool play like this. I don't like them as a club, but they do have... I will say, have played unbelievable football uh, in the past three seasons, and they are just so far off that pace right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let us move to the next game. The final game of the week. Is this one me or you? Uh, you can have it. Are you uh, sure? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> You know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's becoming normal. I know. I think fans are, despite not wanting it, they're just normalizing it now. It's not a surprise. Um, Zach and I picked Spurs to win this because just deep down you knew. Um, Funnily enough, that episode we did last week, I said that uh, when we recapped the Spurs game, I said Oliver Skip shouldn't be in the, anywhere near that starting midfield. <laughs> I know, he was a boss too on this one. <laughs> he absolutely crushed the first goal off a of poor clearance from Enzo and just absolutely buried it. Um, during work, when I had the earpiece in, I just heard Oliver Skip top of the box and, and then it's, everybody started screaming. I was just... I had the biggest scowl on my face for the next five minutes. It was just pure frustration and disappointment and just like confusion really because straight it was not even 30 seconds into the second half and i just don't know what grand potter or what players are saying in there for those 10 to 15 minutes but it just there's no there's no drive or camaraderie there's just like no grit i don't know what it is it seems like one of those things where it's a collective of players just put in a situation um, on short notice, and they just have to figure it out on the fly. And it just it was there wasn't helping. And Zachariah Zachariah came in in the sixty second, which was nice uh, to see him back in fitness. Uh, Kane got the second in the eighty in the eighty second. Uh, off an Eric Dyer assist off a corner kick. Everybody just stood there. You have England internationals just literally doing nothing defending. I don't understand how they can earn those positions and on such a high scale. And when it comes to club, they do absolutely dick shit. Um, I think the, the highlight of the game, maybe not the highlight, but the most controversial point in the game was Closing the first half where there was a challenge in the midfield. Havertz took out Skip, I believe. Ziek was involved. Um, he got Skip got up. There was a bit of a scuffle. Emerson Royale comes screaming in, pushing Ziek in the back. Uh, the ref is right in there in the mix. Uh, and then Ziek responds to Emerson Royale and shoves him around the neck area. And it pushed up to his face. And... Emerson Royale took it and just fell. Uh, nothing was given. I think a yellow card was given to Ziek. And then VAR came in, told him to look at it for violent conduct. 
a red card was given. Or no, not VAR came in for that. The linesman told the center ref to give him a red, and then VAR called him over and told him to look at that, and then the red was reversed to just a yellow. So I, I don't know what your stance was on that whole situation. Yeah, I mean, just just reversed it to give him a, a slice of, of yellow cheddar. I think that's that was probably the call, uh, the right call. It is crazy to see, like a... Like VAR, VAR is the reason he got the straight red. Like that's that's what happened. And then to have the ref actually overturn the VAR, no, is I it, don't. I don't think it was. I think the linesman on the field, like he originally, the center ref originally went to the linesman who saw everything and took his advice, and then gave him a red instead. And then VAR has the decision; they can step in on a red card decision and reverse. To, yeah, I think VAR reversed it, told him to, no, 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 you should look at this. And then it was deemed a yellow because by the rule, any any face contact with a hand or something is a red. And then they said the only exception is if it's negligible. So okay. I think he was pushing for his chest or shoulder and it slid up to his face. So he mm-hmm. didn't mean it. Okay. So it, it turned into like a subjective matter. But I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think yellow is the right call either way. If he got the red, nobody's complaining. Uh-uh. If he if he gets the yellow, it's we're happy with it. But yeah. it didn't matter. It didn't matter at the end of the day because Ziek wasn't affecting the game whatsoever. No, he's been pretty pedestrian. Um, I don't blame him. He was going to leave. Yeah, I know. He was headed to PSG, which uh, is another place. I don't. I don't even see him getting into the team. So yeah, I don't know how the hell that would work. I don't know. Who knows? And then and then we got the bombing and the eighty third coming in. Yeah, I don't know what he's still there for. Um, what I will say is Tottenham uh, with no Conte with the um, what's his name? I forget. I he's one of the coaches, but he's got four wins <laughs> in the last four games, which is insane. Um, Tottenham looked better. I mean, they have no Son. Son comes off the bench now. Uh, Richarlison got the start ahead of him, but their defense, especially Emerson, I just think have been much better recently. And Ollie Skip, I I don't think is a good player either. I when I was listening to last week's episode, I was like, yeah, like Matt Spitting, I totally agree. But he was passionate in this one, man. And in these games, in these these London matchups, you just gotta have the passion and the fight. And he totally did. He latched onto that unfortunate clearance uh from fernandez beat another player to it that comes down to passion and then just absolutely thundered one in uh felix yeah it was felix so i mean to be fair i don't know what you can really expect out of felix he's a forward player he's not gonna have that sort of drive to get back to the ball and then turn it forward down to the clearance yeah it's a bad clearance Uh, i don't i don't think we can blame felix for that um but yeah it's it's like you said there is just no there's no collective passion will to win desire <laughs> to gain points and tottenham have that because of partially their manager but also just because it's a lot of players that have been playing together for for some time now uh and you have kane who is just you know yeah. one of the most prolific goal scorers in premier league history at this point which i think a lot of us forget sometimes um and they they do they desire to win. They're Spursy. They make awful mistakes, but you'd rather have passion and the mistakes than mistakes and also no passion. And that is unfortunately 
where Chelsea Football Club are right now. Um, this conversation about Potter maybe you know being out or not being the man for the job. This kind of reminds me of of the situation that we had with uh, Mikel Arteta, and you know I I said you got to fire him, you got to let him go, and I was very wrong because he has been unbelievable now for the past season and a half. Um, Grant Potter is not a bad manager, and I know I've said that a thousand times on this show. He's not been given a working toy. He's been giving the he's you know he's been given the most broken just collection of high class players, and he's expected to put everything together within two months. Like it's just not. I guess it's been longer than two months now, but it's not it's been in here since September, I think. Yeah, so it's been considerably longer than that, but it's not really fair to expect him to get this team in like full winning form and a two nil loss against Tottenham. Even if Chelsea had a fully functioning team, they had Tuchel, like it could still happen. It does happen. Tottenham beat city. It's just, I don't know. I feel really bad for Potter. And I know a lot of Chelsea fans don't like him, but he's a very good manager. Tactically, he's extremely intelligent. And I just think like he's, he's been given a really bad hand. And I, I do think maybe Chelsea would be better off if they fired him, but I also think he would be better off because I, I just... So much stress. I don't know how you fix this. And the more I watch Chelsea, I'm like, holy fuck, what a nightmare this must be to manage. They've made 90 changes in the lineup since Potter has come in. The second... You know, the second most changes are Liverpool at 63 or something like that this season. That is nuts. They have so many players on the fringe, so many players that are just in and out every week, and then guys that typically start, Havertz being really the only one that you know is going to start up top. And and the defense, you know Silva's going to start. But He's injured now. I know, he's injured. This is just such a disaster. I cannot imagine how hard it is for Graham Potter to get up every morning and manage this football club. It's got to be a complete nightmare. Two wins and two wins out of 15 it's not in the good. league. Not good, not good. But I don't know who you guys would pick up now unless it's Mauricio Pochettino. Nobody come, wants the job. To come in and fix this. Who wants that job? It's just, it's crazy. It's like joining a company that, it's like joining Microsoft and Microsoft has hired, you know, uh, an entire new team of of developers. Like, it's just so many things to put together. It doesn't matter how much money is there. Money's not going to fix it. You have to instill something else. And I, I don't know if Sir Alex Ferguson could do it, let alone Graham Potter. It's just, it's a complete nightmare. Somebody's just got to come in with some bollocks and tell everybody to get the fuck on board or you're gone. You you guys needed Sean Dyche, I think. I couldn't imagine what that <laughs> would look like. <laughs> to be honest with you, it might be better because then you're giving Dyche players that can, I know this is like a stupid hypothetical, but you're giving Dyche good enough players right at the back for him to play his style of football. He's going to put players further back, but if you just play long balls forward to Felix or Havertz, eventually somebody's bound to score. 
Um, maybe Chelsea just needs to stop playing with wingers. Maybe you just play it narrow through the center and let Fernandez. No, <laughs> we need we need to whip crosses in. That's one thing Sean Dice and Everton have done. Yeah, a lot more than when Lampard was there. They're whipping balls in so much more. Yeah, Dwight McNeil. Dwight McNeil in the last four games has whipped in at least like thirty crosses. Him and Minkalenko down that left side. It seems like they never go down the right, yeah. but they're just whipping cross after cross after cross and. It might not be the most successful, but every once in a while, there might be a mistake. It squeaks through, you get a tap in, there's a deflection, you get some on the back post, clearance yeah. top of the box. Like You're creating drama in the box, and if we're not even applying that pressure, we're limiting our opportunities. I mean, in the Liverpool-Newcastle game last week, or a week ago, two weeks ago, their two goals they got on Newcastle were... They pinged it top of the box, and they immediately chipped it over the defense. And mm. you're just looking for a little tap in across. I mean, just catching them out when they're not expecting it. And when we're playing passively, side-to-side, -side, possession, waiting and waiting, they're so set up to where you're giving yourself almost no chance to get through where your best chance is, like, if Rudiger was still there, him shooting from 40 yards out. Yeah. I mean, it's just too slow. Yeah, I I mean I guess that's true. It's just it it's really tough um, to watch Chelsea play like this. I just I don't know. They need a complete change in philosophy, and I don't necessarily think that that you're gonna see that. So they keep they keep the board keeps backing Potter, but if he loses like the next four games and we lose and we drop out of the Champions League, I don't know how the hell they they have any way of saying oh, we're still back like we're about we're level on points with villa we're about to drop into the bottom half of the table we have a negative goal difference i don't remember the last time we had a negative goal differential in the league at this point yeah you guys are closer to the drop zone than you are to the top which it's been a really long time i think since since i can we're, we're, that we're, ten, we're 10 we're 10 points above the drop if he we are on pace to drop into that I know. Well, yeah. If you continued, if you continued this form, then you're right. You absolutely would be. You've got three points in your last five games. Uh, Southampton, three points in their last five games. It's crazy. It is crazy to watch. I don't. I don't enjoy this either. It's not. It's not entertaining to me. I mean, it, it is entertaining to just like see how they're going to try and fix it because if they do fix it, then it's going to be one of those stories just like Arsenal was where it looked totally chalked. You know, they had just like fringe players, players that really shouldn't have been starting, that were starting, and it looked like the manager was going to be out. It was bad. Like Chelsea have good players, though. Arsenal didn't even have that. We had to buy them. I do think, like I, I do think Chelsea will figure it out next season, um, but it it is very strange. I think the league is better when Chelsea are up there. Like it doesn't move me to see Fulham in six. It's it's a nice story, but when Chelsea are up there and and United are in form and Tottenham are in form, it's just. It's more entertaining and and a win or a, a win of the league at this point which is where i'm thinking like it means more if chelsea is there because the the, the blood and the the violence between chelsea and arsenal in the last 10 years has been pretty extreme and 
I don't really like enjoy this. It's just not it's not fun to watch them just shamble about every week. It's it's very ugly. Um okay. I mean, that was a depressing conversation, I suppose. Uh yeah. we we will move on, but it it is depressing. That's that's the thing. Uh you got ha- to face it. You got to face the facts. That's right. We have to be realistic and and face the music. I think Chelsea when they come out of it will be stronger, but um man, I wish Abramovich wasn't didn't have to sell the club because it'd be a different story here now. Um, yeah. Okay, match day seven uh, and then match day twenty six. We got two games tomorrow: Arsenal versus Everton at two forty five at the Emirates, and then Liverpool versus Wolves at Anfield at three p.m. Uh, I'm going to take Arsenal against Everton in the first one. Where do you stand on that one? You know, it's at home. We thought the that we thought the reverse fixture would be the same here. I'm taking Arsenal, and so is Zach. But I mean, we it's not. We know what Everton's going to bring. They're going to whip in those balls on the day. We need your defense to really stand up, be stout. Uh, we don't know if Mel is going to start again up front or Sims. DCL's out of the question. Um, so yeah, I think Arsenal here for sure at home too with the home fans backing them. Uh, they need they need this one. Okay. Um, Liverpool versus Wolves up next. Uh, I think I'm going to have to take a draw on that one. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I was thinking of the same thing. We saw Wolves beat them earlier 3-0. Liverpool at home are significantly better, but with their midfield in the way it is, I can't really back them. Um so yeah, I think I'm gonna go with the draw as well, and Zach's gonna take Liverpool. Okay. Um, then on to the weekend games. No Friday games this week. We have Manchester City taking on Newcastle uh, Oil Classico at seven thirty. Who do you have here? I was checking the depth charts to see for Nick Nick Pope's status, and it's saying he is eligible to play against yep. City, so it was only a one-match ban. Um, so having him back to Massa, we saw what Karius did in the Carabao Cup final. Uh, United won that one 2-0, two, two so congrats to them for that. But uh, they do play, I think, today or tomorrow. We have FA Cup, so we'll see there. Um, but... I'm going to have to back City here at home, too. It's going to be really tough. We did see these guys play a 3-3 thriller earlier in the year. Uh, but I think City here with Holland for sure. Okay. And Zach's taking City as well. All right. Um, I want to take City, too. I just think, you know, they're they're in good, better form after that pumping of Bournemouth last week. Uh, and they continue it here against the Newcastle side, who just are not scoring goals right now. Uh, okay, Chelsea versus Leeds United up next. Rivalry reignited just because of how poor Chelsea have been recently. Uh, I'm going to take Chelsea against Leeds in this one. I I don't know why, but I am going to do it. Yeah, after that whole depressing talk, I'm still going to be delusional and take Chelsea. Um, Zach's going to take Leeds. Okay. Um, Arsenal versus Bournemouth on Saturday. Quick turnaround. Uh, I'll take Arsenal in that one as well. Yeah, Arsenal too for me. It's going to be one of those drubbings. It's going to be tough for Bournemouth in this run they have. And Zach's taking Arsenal too. Okay. Uh, Quickly before we move on to Aston Villa and Crystal Palace, I just saw a stat from Opta. Somebody sent it to me. I I have to say it. 
Um, in a run that started on November 6th, Chelsea have scored six goals, six goals across their last 15 games in all comps. That's the fewest of any side in England's top four tiers. Over the same period, United have scored 50 goals, including 18 goals from just Marcus Rashford. That's the most insane stat I think I've ever heard. Not not even for Chelsea, but for, for United. They've scored 50 goals since November 6th. Yep, in all comps, yep. <laughs> I mean, so Rashford has three times Chelsea's complete goal goal scoring tally. Yep. That's fucking crazy. Wow. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to Aston Villa Crystal Palace. Um that game at 10 a.m. as well. This is kind of a big game uh for Villa, a chance to show up against Palace who uh played a pretty tight match against Liverpool last week. I think I'm going to lean with uh, with Villa in this one. I like uh, Ollie Watkins to continue uh, his form, and I think this will be a, a fun watch. Could probably be a 2-1 or a 1-0, but I am going to take the Villains. Zach's taking Villa as well. Uh, I'm going to take Palace. I'm going to be a contrarian there also because I need Palace to do something here because if the fact that we lose to Leeds and Villa win, we'll drop to the bottom half of the table. Yep. Okay, Brighton versus West Ham up next. Who you got there? Uh, I'm rocking with a draw here. Brighton have been a little weird lately. They yeah. haven't been a best form. There's some sums up there a bit. And West Ham, after this big win, will come in with a lot of confidence looking to uh, string up another result going their way. But I'm going to think they'll share the points on the day. And Zach agrees. I'm going to be a weirdo and take West Ham. Uh, they really moved me last week. I think as long as Ings didn't die, uh, in training, which you never know, uh, that, that late game, uh, fitness check, he's, he's been known to just not be fit, but I'm going to take West Ham. Brighton has been weird recently. You're absolutely right about that. Relying on late heroics, things of that nature. Uh, I think West Ham score early and I actually think they sit back on this one and take three points. Um, Okay, Wolves versus Tottenham up next. Uh, This one, another sweaty one. Wolves have Liverpool and Tottenham back-to-back, just a couple of days apart. Uh, I think Tottenham win this game. I think Wolves are just going to be tired after having to contend with Liverpool. Uh, So I'll take Tottenham in this one. I think they get three points. Yeah, I'm going to back Spurs, too, here, the way they're playing lately. And I think, most importantly, their defense. Four out of their last five games, they've gotten clean sheets which is impressive, especially with how we've seen Dyer play the whole year. So it's going to be a tough one here, but I do think Spurs get the job done, and Zach's going to go with a draw. Okay. Uh, Southampton versus Leicester City up next. Who you got here? Uh, I got to go with Leicester here. I think this is a perfect game for them to bounce back against Southampton, who I believe have the worst are the worst team at home this year. Out of 11 games, they've only picked up six points. Whereas Leicester are decent on the road, not too bad. They've scored quite a bit of goals. So I think this should be a, a bounce back game for Ian Acho. I don't know if James Madison is going to be fully fit. We saw him miss the previous game uh, against Arsenal, which was big for them. So they're saying he's a late fitness test for the FA Cup match today due to illness. So he'll probably be rested for that just to have an opportunity to play in this game. And I think that'll put them on over the edge. And then Zach's taking Leicester as well. Okay. Um, 
I'm gonna take Lester, I guess, too. Um, I don't know. This one kind of stinks. It. I bet you it'll be a good game to watch. It smells um, like a JWP goal. But but it kind of does smell like a JWP masterclass. Just banger. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll stick with Lester, but yeah, I don't know. This that's not an easy one to pick. Uh, okay, up next, Nottingham Forest versus Everton. This one screams draw. Nil nil draw. I will be hammering the under. Uh, as hard as I possibly can. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll stick with a the draw there. Hit, you read my mind. I'm going with a draw, and so is Zach. Okay. Um, and then up next, we have Liverpool versus Man United. Who you got here? I have to go with United here. It's really tough to go against them. It's going to be a battle at midfield. Casemiro's back. Um, Bruno Fernandez has debatably been their player of the season, or unsung hero in a way. If you take out Casemiro and Rashford, he's been really good. Yep. And Liverpool, man, it's... Fortunate for them, it's at home, but I don't know. It's gonna be very tough for them on the day. We 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 have seen them pull up some some performances out of their ass, but it's gonna be a tall task for them here. So I got to back United, and Zach's going with them as well. Yeah, I'm gonna go with United too. I think this one could be an absolute fucking pumping of Liverpool. I just do not know how anybody is stopping Marcus Rashford right now. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen a player in form like this. Like he is just absolutely mental he's so yeah. so good he scored in like what feels like 25 games straight i know it's not uh it's probably close to 10 though and he has just been unbelievable i think van dyke is gonna have a hell of a time stopping him uh so i'll go with the devils as well and then our last game of the week brentford versus Fulham. uh i am gonna go with a draw, I think. I don't know what Mitrovic's status is, and that's what this one comes down to for me. Uh, so I'll take Fulham. I think it's going to be a tight match, very tightly contested. Can totally see a draw. Can totally see Brentford pulling away as well. Uh, but I will just... I'm going to stick with Fulham. Or what did I say at first? A draw? Yeah, you said a draw. I'm sorry. Um, let me stick with a the draw then. Uh, I just think these two teams kind of match up really well against each other. Uh, it's going to be a midfield battle, and I think it's low scoring, and, and we'll just stick to maybe a 1-1 or something like that. Yeah, Zach and I are going with Brentford here. Going back to when we talked about the Fulham game recap against Wolves, I think Jao Paulinho being out for two games here is going to be the difference maker, and I think for that reason, Brentford's midfield will overrun them a bit, and they'll get the win here with Ivan Tony. so I'm going to go with the Bs. All right. Uh, guys, that is everything. Just about an hour for you today, uh, the morning episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod on Twitter uh, and Instagram. You can find all past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Again, thanks for listening. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you soon.